Welcome to the Nosara Podcast. I'm Henry Gracie. This is Hito, and this is our guest, Rich. <laughs> it's an honor to have you guys here. Thanks for having us, bro. First things first, why do I keep seeing y'all in Nosara so much? Like, what's going on? Well, you just met him. Did you meet him last time he was? He passed through. You, you kept bringing him up because he surfs and I surf. And yeah. I keep trying to get you to surf and you get you try to get me to jujitsu. And you're like, well, Henry surfs. Y'all can talk about that. I've been so, waiting to surf. This is my year. I just started. So why Nosara? I think what we're so attracted to is just how different it is from what we are in every day in LA, which is the hustle and bustle, the speed of life in California for us and, and just business and personal and professional. It's just, it's so fast. It's so intense all the time. There's always more to do. And then you get down here and it's like, hey, hurry up and chill, you know? And like, everyone's relaxed. Everything is relaxed. Everyone's late to everything. No, everyone cares about the sunset and the waves and that's it, right? We don't dress up. Yeah, and no one dresses up. Everything's flip flops. So, you know, that's what we love, bro. And it's just a change of pace for us because we, we, we go so fast and we're being pulled in so many directions that um, for me, it's just an incredible reset that I can't find in the States. I just can't find it. And it, it is so much slower than Los Angeles, but it also has its own little life. Which is kind of cool for our wives, for mm -hmm. example, or for our kids. Yeah. They want to be able to, like, these, these, the, the couple shops that there are here in town, like, they've been to those shops each one, two, three times, and they're, they walk in, they'll buy one thing one day, one thing the next day, so there's, there's still that feeling of, you know, stuff to do, which is great. And there's, and there's more. Now we're seeing growth. Like, our kids went to the, the, the dirt bike, little um, playground place, and they loved it. It's pretty cool. Amazing that, that, that that's new. Pretty good place for families. Yeah, the kids love it. And all the kids, yeah, they all fall in love with boogie boarding and then surfing on the foam board. And then two days ago, Haven was like, Dad, I want to surf on a fiberglass board. So I'm like, cool. Gave him like a nicer board. He got up and he's just, the fact that there's no wetsuits and the waves are perfect for every skill level. It's like, man, we don't got that in California. Like we have, and you know, you just don't have it. I think he's saying fiberglass because your son said fiberglass. Is that why he's saying fiberglass? I don't know where he learned that word. Who knows, but he's, it's almost like he's growing up very fast. Yeah. From boogie board to surfboard to fiberglass within a matter of weeks. And that's because the water, the temperature, and the waves allow it. See, the repetition, it's, it's, there's always something to do here. You can always go out. Speaking of which, you caught a bomb, Mr. Henry. Let's talk about that. I've never seen such nice, consistently nice waves with such little crowds, you know? And, um, uh, you know, I don't know if announcing that on a podcast is going to help the case much or make it worse. People already know <laughs> that part's covered, man. That's what I love. It's just Guiana is such a big, spread out, dispersed, crowded beach in terms of like just how open faced the beach is, and there's how many different breaks there are. It's too good, and then, and, and it's a what do we say? It's a it's a high reward, low consequence wave. You know, it's they're they're big, they're good shape, and then if you fall, you 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 live <laughs> most of the time. <laughs> so. We have a pretty small jujitsu scene. Does it bother you at all that it's not, you guys aren't recognized maybe more? A lot of people don't recognize people here. Like Not being recognized does not bother at all. Talk me through that. It's okay. Yeah. Yeah, it's okay. It's actually, there is actually a little bit of beauty because you can just see someone and walk right by them or say hello. Where maybe in our city where we live in Torrance in California, because we grew up there, there's a little bit more like, those are the Gracie brothers as an energy, whether it's kids that went to school with us or teachers or friends and family of someone of someone. So it's a much, it's, it's kind of a small world there, but here's another type of small world. And little by little, the world, the word does travel that we do jujitsu and it's all good. I don't think anybody's, the energy's great. 
it's just, it's just really cool to see that jujitsu is e everywhere even exists in a small little community like mm -hmm. Guiones and Osara that jujitsu has a little footprint here that's just cool to see and to know that our family was part of the uh, of what made that 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 new thing possible all over the world that's that's just exciting to like come here and go damn there's jujitsu right here it's definitely working and i mean here you've been here for multiple belt ceremonies for my kids and stuff like it's interesting you're it's sticking and now Henry, you're coming back the families are all here like it's uh it's interesting to see nosara kind of pull this dynamic in because it's healthy and it's good for families it's just it's it's good energy it's yeah. it's good it was it's, really cool i saw a kid who maybe four years ago, he, his first day, he walked on the mat at Jungle's Edge. And I remember, I'm like, wow, this kid's first day. And I actually had felt like, wow, he's not really being taken care of that well. Like, they're just like, yeah, get in line, do the moves. And the way that, obviously, how we do things back home is so much different. If it's your first day, we hold your hand and we teach you one specific technique. We find you a partner that's your same size that will help you. It's a little more experience that coaches you. And I kind of saw this kid and he was just, hey, do the move. And they're a little bit advanced. So I found myself like kind of toning it down. I was teaching some techniques and I found myself slowing down and trying to help him. And then I just saw him now. Four I, years later. Four years later. I saw him two years after and then I saw him again. I hadn't been here for two years. And then he was like, dude, what was his name? Uh, Alex. Alejandro. Alejandro. I think he's like, was, Alejandro, he's like. It was your first day. I was there on your first he day. He was like, dude, I taught your first class four years ago in Nosara here. Is that you? He was like, yeah, that was me. Yeah. So he stuck with it, dude. Like, that was dope. I was like, whoa, I'm, I'm that's a half a percent, crazy. half a percent, my, you know, Bro, he don't talk my student. Guy, he don't talk to the guy three classes. His first class, his two-year class, and his four-year class. Daniel did the other 99.99%. Yeah, yeah. No, Teamwork. <laughs> yeah, and all the guys here do a great job. And, um, you know, they got the spot at Gilded Iguana, which our friend Jeff runs, and then Jungle's Edge. So the fact that there's a few little footprints of jiu-jitsu. Um, we actually had one of our instructors, Gilbert, come down and teach at the Iguana. Um, mm -hmm. Gilbert came yeah. down, spent I don't know how many months here teaching and had, had a great time. And so we're, we're here. We're here to help. We love Nosara. Like, this is it, you guys. We, this, is, this is our home away from home. For people who might not know your background, do a quick description. So our grandfather was Brazil's first national sports hero. Before Babe Ruth was playing baseball, he was fighting in Brazil, teaching and fighting and proving the effectiveness of this art. Um, his children grew up seeing that. Our father left Brazil, came to America, created the UFC, the Ultimate Fighting Championship. My uncle Hoist, our uncle Hoist fought in the show, displayed the effectiveness of the show. And ever since then, um, people have said, you know what, jujitsu is the real deal. It's an art of, it's a, it's a fighting art. It's for the smaller person to defeat the giant. And my grandfather showed that, as well as many other representatives in Brazil. And then my father and his brothers, and then Hoist on the platform of the UFC. And then, boom. So we, were, so, we, so we were born, we were 10 and 12 years old when UFC 1 aired in the early mm -hmm. 90s. So, um, yeah, when he don't talks about our, the art, the art is Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu that our family created and brought to America and then popularized in the UFC. And we were born in, uh, in an era where that was very popular. All of, it was happening. UFC was popping and we were kids and we were watching this and our families fighting other martial arts. So we're growing up around this family of fighting where if you do taekwondo or karate or kickboxing, you're fighting against jujitsu, many times our father or our uncles, to display what works and what doesn't. And that was really the precursor to the UFC. Those were Gracie challenge matches, these unofficial garage fights, and those led to the creation of the UFC. 
We saw a lot of that and we were just impacted heavily. And then we grew up as young teenagers watching and jujitsu growing popularity all over the world. Military, law enforcement, everyone's now learning jujitsu. So as we came of age around 18, 19, 20 years old, we took over the lead instructor positions at our school in Torrance, California. And at that point, it was a pivotal moment for us to decide like, what's our contribution to jujitsu and to our family's legacy of this art? And um, of course, we contemplated the professional fighting path as like, yo, should we just go fight in the UFC also? Is that what we do in this family? Pause on that for a listener because they might not know, you're 16 years old fighting on YouTube videos still out there and metamorphosis and all these other things. So you have had your share of personal combat. Yeah, so yeah, we got we got the tail end of the Gracie Challenge matches happened on our hands. So guys were coming in still in the in the two thousands and you know yeah, early two thousands. Say, hey, I'm a boxer, I'm a kickboxer, I have taekwondo. I don't believe in jujitsu. I want to fight someone. So my dad would be like, okay, pick one, you know. And we would fight these guys, and you know, mm-hmm. we would we would defeat them in the in the school, always with a very scientific mindset, improving the efficacy of jujitsu. So we did some of these fights growing up, and like these challenge matches. And then it came to the point where like, what are we going to do with our lives? And what we realized is that 10 years after the UFC started, there was no more mystery about jujitsu. It was known that everything is, you either know jujitsu or you get choked by someone who does. And that footprint in America and around the world and that transformation of martial arts as a whole had happened. We, we watched it as we grew up and through our teenage years. So then we cite our sights on, okay, if the whole world believes jujitsu is kind of the apex martial art that any person can learn to stand a chance against a, chance against a larger opponent, Let's focus on teaching teachers how to teach this jujitsu so we can spread this jujitsu all over the world. Is this the beginning of Gracie University? Yes. There was no organized curriculum and there was no organized training of trainers to grow jujitsu. It was complete madhouse and anybody who came from Brazil with any belt of any color could open a school and just go for it and there was no structure amongst those schools. So it was kind of like this gold rush of teaching jujitsu to the world but done by random people with no organization and as a result the quality suffered. So that's when we said okay let's set our sights on creating instructor certification programs, creating an online curriculum where the whole world could see a structured online curriculum. And through those processes, you know, we began in, you know, 2006, 2007, 2008, we launched Gracie University Online. And today we're over 300,000 online members learning from 196 countries in their living rooms on the floor with a web connection and a, and a, and a, and a computer. And um, 210 certified locations, uh, certified training centers that are instructors, all of whom we've personally certified. And, and we grow about 30 to 40 new schools a year. We teach all the head instructors for all the police agencies in America, send their instructors to our course, Gracie Survival Tactics, to learn how to teach jujitsu to law enforcement, modified for law enforcement. And um, we've created demographic specific programs for women, women self-defense against sexual assault called Women Empowered, for children called Gracie Bully Proof, Law enforcement, Gracie survival tactics, general civilian population, Gracie combatives. So really, I'd say that our greatest contribution to our family's legacy has been taking this art that has been developed, proven effective over so many decades, and now make it teachable and really accessible to anyone in the world of any demographic who wants to learn in a way that makes it to where anyone can actually learn it. No one teaches beginners and onboards people into the art of jujitsu better than we do and, uh, and we're having a blast doing it. And that's one of the challenges that when people watch MMA, when they watch the UFC, mm-hmm. there's a feeling of like, wow, that's badass. That's really cool. And, and you're a fan of these fighters. And there's no doubt that jujitsu is the X factor. 
in the UFC, meaning all the martial artists that are fighting out there, they're all training jiu-jitsu and it's a very, it's, it's the, probably the most important art that they need to learn in that mixed martial arts setting where they, basically all arts yeah, are allowed to fight. It's the one you can't live without. You 100%. don't have it, you're dead. And what happens is people see this and they say, you know what, I don't really want, I can't do MMA. That's not for me. So, because when we say, hey, come do jujitsu, they're like, well, no, no, I, I don't want to get beat up. I don't want to do cage fighting. Well, they have no idea what jujitsu really is. And it's not, you see an element of jujitsu when you watch MMA. Mm -hmm. And that's why it's so important that we have these. Gracie you know, breakdowns also, too. Gracie breakdowns and these kind of demographic specific Programs. courses. You have a course specifically for children to help them, you know, five years old to 12, 13 to help them with bowling and you have a women's course and then you have a course just for law enforcement and that allows us like you said to take that person by the hand and really help kind of bring them, make them feel comfortable and really empower them because that's that's the, probably the most rewarding thing about what we do is that we take people from ah, I'm afraid to go back to work or I'm afraid to go to school or I, I lack trip confidence because of X, Y, or Z. And now all of a sudden they're back at school and they're surfing again. Who knows? Someone, it doesn't matter who you are. There will come a point in your life where someone says and does or does something to you that makes you feel less than. It could be surfing. A few words could be said in the water. No, Sarah's not that place. But you can go visit another break somewhere and someone can say something and you say, and all of a sudden you don't want to surf there anymore and you love surf. So jujitsu is almost like insurance to where you learn this art of self-defense and if one day someone, you know, who drops in on your wave or you drop in on their wave and you apologize but they're not having it, you know deep down inside you're going to be okay. So the ability to defend yourself is something that we can give to anybody no matter if you're a six-year-old kid or a 75-year-old, you know, grandfather. Two points. First, Distance learning, it seems like you guys helped to orchestrate that for this part of the world, more so than anyone. You have a big family, lots of people are doing great things in all types of areas, but it seems like you're the first one to put it in a package that can hit the young kid, can hit the law enforcement. That's actually how I learned about you guys. My little kids are sitting there on YouTube. Kai's watching the, the girl stuff. Elijah's watching uh, the bully stuff. That's cool. Like that's actually how we learned about you guys was from there. And then I went into watching and I was like, okay, surf a lot. There's a lot of intensity sometimes in various lineups and it's exactly what you just said. So that's working all the way down here in the, in the middle of the jungle. Listen, we're just very blessed. It's just a convergence of variables that happened on our watch. Let's think about it. We were born into the family that created Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. Mm -hmm. We didn't have a choice there. Our father created the UFC, co-created, to put Jiu-Jitsu on the map. So we were, at, at, a, at a young age, we were in a family that created mixed martial arts, really. You're 10-ish, mm 10-12. -hmm. And we're witnessing this. So this is, we, it's very important that we take credit for what we deserve, but we also respect that we just happen to be in the right place at the right time for a lot of this. And the third variable in all this is we grew up during the YouTube explosion. It, the, the, the digitization of America and streaming video, it became normal by the time we were 17. 18, 19 years old. When did it click? It clicked around, it clicked around. We first started making Gracie breakdowns in our early 20s because UFC fights would happen and then people would go, Henner, he don't, that was a crazy arm bar, but we don't even know what happened. Can you tell us? So we were like, wow, that's interesting. Mm. Next day we woke up, film a breakdown for a GSP fight, actually was the first one against Dan Hardy. And he got out of an arm bar that we were like, why didn't it break? And then we knew, but nobody else could understand. So we just did a breakdown. It got like 20, 30,000 views. And we were like, wow, people like this. And then we did Fedor versus, um, um, versus Fabrizio Verdum. 
ironically, that was one of our second breakdown. I think it was our second breakdown. We did a breakdown on how Fedor got submitted by Fabrizio Verdum. We filmed it on a Sunday morning. We left to Costa Rica on a Sunday afternoon. What's the other place we went? Uh, Manuel Antonio National Park. Mm -hmm. Over there, some other spot here in Costa Rica. And um, we went there, and three days into our trip, where we finally had some internet, we checked, and it had 300,000 views. So we were like, dude, people love the Gracie breakdowns. So basically, we became, the way I see it, as translators of MMA to the average couch fan who never wanted to do MMA, but wants to understand it, we became those translators. And in being that translator, people go, wow, I don't want to do MMA, but if it's, if it's what these boys are saying on these videos, it looks way more fun, way more effective, and way more easy to learn than what I'm seeing in the cage. So we became the translators for MMA, which is where the Gracie breakdowns, if you ask anything, we get recognized more for the Gracie breakdowns. Yeah. And the TSA guy, police, people stop us and go, dude, I love the breakdowns in the water yesterday. The guy's like, Henner, huge fan. I played piano I watched all the videos you were in the water with me he was like dude huge fan play piano I can't do it but man I love the videos I learned a lot much respect every morning is happening here that someone has seen and I go dude do you train and nine times out of ten they go no I don't do it that hippie resort we went to there you go yeah remember that we will there you go the guy was like dude but he actually trained that guy actually trained but the guy in the water yeah. most don't they just watch our breakdowns and they like it and they're on the fence of it so we see our role as one of getting people who've always kind of tinkered with MMA and like kind of been a fan of it, but never would do it. We want to pull those people into the mat and say, look, this is for you. And what he don't mention about these demographic specific programs is because 99% of BJJ instructors around the world, they teach jujitsu as a one size fits all art. If you're a child coming in, you're going to get taught basically the exact same way as an adult who's you know, just coming in to learn BJ. And if you're a woman worried about sexual assault or a man worried about a street fight, you're going to get taught all the same bucket. Just learn jujitsu. And we used to do that. And our family, before our generation, pretty much did that. And it was really our, our realization that go, wait a minute, no. Jiu-Jitsu can be the same. But how we communicate to a woman who's fear of sexual assault or recovering from one, and a boy who's getting bullied, and an officer who just got punched and took his own gun taken from him, those are three separate introductions to the art. And we have to, we have to modify the language that we use and the techniques that we share in the beginning so that that art introduction makes sense to them mm. perfectly. Because all it takes is one bad class and someone goes, no, I don't want any more of this, I'm good, I'm yeah. out. But if we speak to them perfectly for the first 12 months, and then after 12 months of perfectly customized jujitsu for their exact life circumstances, man, woman, child, Navy SEAL, law enforcement, you name it, after 12 months, six months, eight months, whatever it is, they go, man, it's so clear, so effectively solved my problem that I'm ready to embark on the rest of jujitsu for the next 20 mm -hmm. years of my life. You Let's talk about that though from, from age groups because some people listening might be thinking, all right, if I'm, if I'm in my 20s, I'd give it a go. I'm 50, 60 something years old. Talk, talk us through that. It's really cool how we got to watch our grandfather, our father, our uncles teach people, whether it was a child, from all age, different age groups. So as kids, you were seven years old, we're nine, we're 15, we're watching people come in from you know, all different demographics and we're like, wow, look at, and, and we, we can see how they're modifying, they're behaving differently with a seven year old child versus a 25 year old. So we kind of learned that lesson mm -hmm. by also being Around. children that observe everything. Imagine if we were 27 years old, we're kind of off on our own, doing our own thing. Whereas when you're eight years old, you just kind of hang out around the gym and you get to watch so much. So we're very blessed to have watched our Good father. Teachers, yeah. They're great examples for us. But to answer your question about age in terms of starting jujitsu, so many people will text and say, Henry, direct message, Henry, I'm 61, what do you think? Put it this way. 
If there's any martial art you can do and write it out till the end, it's jujitsu. It's the martial art that other martial artists retire into. Now, with that being said, people retire in living coast, Nosara. Jiu-jitsu is the nosara of martial arts. It's where you retire and go chill and no stress and no pressure and you can ride it out till mm -hmm. our grandfather trained till his 90 years old doing jiu-jitsu till the end. So the fact that you can adapt and it's a low impact martial art, right? It's not paya, power, speed, athleticism. It's about technique, it's about leverage, it's about patience, timing. It's not about pressure and aggressiveness and it's explosiveness and power. So the fact that the physical prerequisites are so minimal and anyone can do it, it's why Older people, generally, the, the average age, if you look at a class, like a master cycle class at our school, a regular yeah. class on a Tuesday night, and you look at all the people on the mat, you'll see some 17, 18, 19 year old young men and women, and you'll see some 64, 67, 71. So the average age in there might be like 42 or 39. It's not 22, yeah. 24, you see? This is not possible everywhere. Yeah, most schools cannot most do this. Most schools cannot do this. So when you're saying jujitsu, you're making it seem like I'm speaking schools. more for, on our behalf, and I can't speak for schools that we don't oversee or certify the instructors in. It's before even the chapters. It's just the whole energy of the building, of all of our schools. We have 200 plus schools around the world. It's to work together to prepare for the possible threats, which is not in the building. The threat is out yes. there. We're we're here. We're, even though and, we're going to train together, we're building each other. And and there's a there's a little bit of a I'm working with you. There's a feel like if the person's having a hard time escaping a position. Let's help them a little bit. Let's lighten up the pressure. Where a lot of most jujitsu schools don't necessarily have that approach. The enemy is in the building at most schools. Well, it's not in the United States, it's the enemy. You don't want to feel that way because you won't go back to class. And that's it, what happens. That's a, why the drop off rate at most schools is. It's a little heavy to say that that person is the enemy. It's more like they so badly want to win and to feel confident and they want that instant gratification. So they want to dominate that training partner so that they can build themselves, which it's a short-term gratification versus long-term, let's sharpen each other's swords, let's work together so that we can both avoid injury, we can um, understand the art to a different level and we can have more fun, it's safer. So there's so many benefits of kind of working together. So we've really instilled the this culture. in our instructors and our students and it starts from us. Right, as, as black belts, it's easy for us as black belts, especially, you know, even now, but since, we're been, since we've been 20, 18 years old, for us to roll, to kind of fight and spar with our students and really just beat them up, tap them out like rag 10, dog, 20 times. Bum, 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 bum. Very aggressive. We can do that, but when you do that, you, you kind of lead by example and you show them, hey, this is what you should do. This is what's cool. This is what you should aim to be like. Where instead, we can submit them with technique and with you know, care. At the same time, we can also let them be, be, be in a dominant position. Gilbert was like that. Yes. Like he exemplified what you're describing right now. And when, when you do that, the students that are experienced, they go help somebody below them. It's everybody it's helps somebody else. And it's not this food chain mindset where those that are black belts, they basically you know, chew up the brown belts, purple belts, and blue belts. Den. No, it's, it's not, not a lion's den. den. And most schools are, because if left unchecked, that's the natural way the mat evolves. But we are very deliberate yeah. about creating a culture in our schools that welcomes everyone because, and we explain, mm -hmm. the more advanced belts, your job is to protect and build the lower belts. And it's very They're fun. They're not grappling dummies for you. It's very fun, the, the, the kind of food chain, like lion's den, is very fun for, for the a while. few. Well, for the few. And for a while. And for, for a phase of your life. 
But we're talking about jujitsu for 15 years, 20, as a lifestyle. You just exist around it. Real quick, you brought up something I wanted to ask you. You went through that challenging part, like in an intense manner, uh, in front of your family, fighting grown men as teenagers, like and, and winning. But you face stuff. I, I saw an old interview with you, Hiram, but it was along the lines of we got to where we didn't have to talk. He just we felt the will. It was time for us to face it, so I faced it. And when you said that, like it clicked for me. I was like, wait, these are two of the strongest killers I've ever I've ever met. But I've also never felt so much peace around people so dynamic physically as yourselves. Mm-hmm. It's just confusing because as in the normal world, when you're walking around, everyone's kind of sizing everyone up, even from just sitting at the restaurant to the lineup to whatever. And you guys don't live in that world. And I've always been so enamored with that. And I wonder, is it because you faced it at such a high level, you've broken through to your version of enlightenment and peace with all of this? Why are we not more edgy? Why are we not more aggressive or more so, posturing yeah, in, in every day? So much? Well, I think it starts because we were born, right? We were at six years old, five years old. We were always called champion. Our dad always said, hey champ. Hey, champion. So he always built us. Our father always gave examples that he would never spank us and he would never hit us because he didn't want us to be afraid of someone's hand. And he would build us. And we talk about how we teach children. We create challenges. If this is what the child's capable of, we create a challenge that meets them. And then we go like barely above. And it, you know, really kind of creates this kind of drive in the child to like, ah. Our father did a great job in building us and allowing us to beat him up Mm -hmm. in a playful, you know, friendly child family way. And this is something that we do with the children in our kids' classes where you have like a seven-year-old kid and he actually thinks he can take Henner down. And we say, okay, now now we're gonna resist for real. And the kid's like, I can do it with 100% resistance. And then he goes and Henner falls and Henner kind of makes the kid lose like 50, 60% and then the kid pins him down. And now this kid feels like he's a, a monster. Now eventually at the age of like, eventually at 13 or 14 years old, we kind of realize, you know what? Ah, we, we were being helped. Cause you go with someone who's 17, 19 when you're 14 and they check you and you're like, oh my gosh. Okay, so I'm not invincible. But then from those years, as long as you stay with it from 14 to 18, once you hit 18, 19, then you're like, oh my gosh, and you start beating 27 year old men, 35 year old men. And then when that point happens at 18, then you're like, hold on, this guy's 37. He can't escape my control. I can choke him whenever I want. So now everything else that's around you, everybody who's having a bad day, someone who's complaining about something and giving you an attitude or a look, you look at that and you're like, oh, no fear, um, he doesn't yeah. he doesn't know he doesn't know and because there is no void there is no insecurity there's no fear of not being enough of a man because there's no doubt that when it comes to how whether how much you i guess to what level you qualify yourself as a man physical attributes is a huge part of it right all kinds of men around the world puffing their chest because what it means to be manly is to be tough so when you don't feel this need to show that you're tough all of a sudden, it just becomes so much easier to walk around. Well, you got there. So at what point along that stage you're describing did you get to where you broke three to that piece? 18 years old. Yeah. yeah right when you hit your man strength at 18, yeah. it changed everything. And, um, you know, we say this a lot to our students. We say, look, learn how to fight so you never have to. Mm-hmm. That's the line. 
Yeah. And 18 for us, because we grew up as little kids on the mat, so we finally became young men, and we said, okay, we are capable, we know how to fight, um, we have, don't have to fear another man, because if they don't know what we know, they don't have a chance. So we can carry ourselves in the world in a much more peaceful, much mm -hmm. more calm, even in cases where we have to set a boundary with someone, someone's being disrespectful, or someone's saying something to someone else, or we have to intervene and say, hey, what you're doing right now is not acceptable, I need you to back up and give them some space. I don't know this person, I don't know you, but what I know is this isn't right right now, so you guys need to calm down. Who are you? It doesn't matter who I am. We need to relax. You're comfortable diffusing the situation. Totally, and doing it so calmly that the person who's the aggressor in the situation goes, man, who is this person? Why are they talking to me so calmly? Do they have a gun or do they know something that I don't know? They're just, so to have that level of tranquility strikes fear in other people. And that's not why we do it. We just have it and other people can sense that. And uh, conversely, when you see someone who puffs up in a situation and is very loud and very aggressive or puffing up in the club and like raising their voice out of control, what do you know about them inside? It's hollow. Mm -hmm. So isn't it interesting that the person most likely to fight in the club or most likely to puff up or like be aggressive in a, in a road rage situation is the person who's least capable of physically cap defending themselves, whereas the person who is most calm in the back of the club or most chill in a road rage incident and most reserved in asserting themselves is the trained killer of the group. Isn't that interesting? So the point is, why exactly? We don't know. The fact is we've been given the gift of this confidence and this skill set that above everything else, what we love about it is precisely that, is that it allows us to live our lives with peace, with love, and with no fear, and with no disrespect of anyone else, and that's why it's taking off with law enforcement. In terms of this whole club thing, and just men and surfers and people all around the, the town that we're in here, in all parts of the world, is that people exist in uncertainty when it comes to physical confrontations. You're uncertain. Absolutely. 99% of men, more, walk around. 100% uncertain. Not so sure, 100% uncertain. Not so sure about what they would do if somebody pushed them or got them in a headlock they wouldn't or tried to throw a punch at them. Yeah. Because we have so much certainty, because we've done so much training, so many positions, we play fight all the time. There's so much certainty, we can relax. We can relax. It's like, it's like walking around, like, it, I, I can't even imagine how the everyday man feels who doesn't know what to do if someone gets them in a headlock. It, it must be so stressful. It's like for t talking to us about what it feels like to, to exist without that physical certainty and safety that we feel. It's like being a sailor and not knowing how to swim. It's like being a human and not being, being able to breathe oxygen. No, but you like work on a boat and you have no idea how to swim and it's a small boat. That wobbles a lot. That's most people's lives. Yeah, yeah. That's everybody people everybody live. lives in that boat in terms of confidence of all every interaction with jujitsu. And the crazy part is it doesn't take 10, 15 years and a black no. belt to become a swimmer. That's why we you have just, so many. The sailor <laughs> just needs to know how to tread water. So what we do professionally yes. is we teach men, women, and children of every profession and every age how to tread water just enough to where they can get up on a surfboard or sail their own boat and have zero fear that if they fall in the water, they're not gonna die. They're just gonna be comfortable, they're gonna breathe and wait till help arrives. And then as you stay more in the swimming classes with us, what happens is you go from someone who can just tread water to someone who can swim a little distance to someone who could literally just live in all the time in the water and have no fear at all. So we just develop mm -hmm. that, but it doesn't take long. You don't need to be Michael Phelps 
to avoid drowning in a pool. You just need to know how to tread water, which can be taught in, with us in a matter of weeks and months. This is not a lifelong well, commitment to become safe in a, in a self-defense situation. Months. Very well, little. Hold on, hold on. Within, in 10 minutes, somebody goes from feeling like, I don't know what I would do in a position. Three minutes. Very fast. Hey, now I know what I would do. I feel a little better. Every single day. Minutes. Every single day, you are shocked when you do classes with us. Every single class, you tell yourself, how did I live my life this long without knowing how to escape that threatening life scenario? (laughs) Especially, and you you, you kick yourself because all you think is, and it's so easy. If it wasn't so easy. That's the worst part. Yeah, you're like, you say, what? Why didn't, why didn't I think of that? Why didn't I, I, I could have invented that I could have thought of that. It's so common sense. <laughs> so, you know, it's like magic. Every class of jujitsu that we teach is like magic. Because uh, for them, for us it's normal, but for them it's like their whole life it flashes before their eyes and thinking, what if I had this when I was in high school? What if I had this when I was in grade school? People have those reflections. I've been attacked before. Cops will say, Henner, the amount of fights that I've been into in, with suspects on the, in the field and in, in the line of duty, for which these techniques would have been perfect I've lost count and I can't believe I did not learn this sooner. So that's what's so gratifying about our role is that we're now getting in front of that and now there's so much heat, uh, there's so much excitement around jujitsu within law enforcement because they're under such scrutiny now because their misuses of force are so highly publicized that for us, the law enforcement aspect of our business and the teaching of those programs is basically the fastest growing program in our entire catalog is the Mm -hmm. law enforcement aspect because they need it so badly. COVID put a dent in a lot of stuff. You guys kept teaching via Zoom. Mm-hmm. How big of a life force was telecommunic- telecommunications and distance training over the past couple of years? That's I mean, just a year and a half. How many of our school owners? Thank you. Yeah, so before, before Zoom, we have an online university. GracieUniversity.com is a linear online learning center mm-hmm. where anyone man, woman, or child for any program can learn jiu-jitsu in order. Why that's unique is because there are many online learning centers for jiu-jitsu, but what they do is they splash a bunch of techniques on a website, and then it's up to the student to choose which techniques they want to learn and pick the order, which is completely confusing. It's like you're building a car and they're just laying all the pieces on the floor and say, go ahead and build the car. Here's the pieces. Well, where do I start? doesn't matter. They're all there. Just figure it out. With us, we say, okay, here's bolt number one, goes on screw number two, that goes through wheel number three on thing number four on axle number five. That's how we build the car. Every single technique in order, Mm -hmm. one through black belt. We've created that and we're the only website that's done that. So when when COVID struck, we lost our brick and mortar business. We spent 18 months without a single student coming in for a group class because we were closed California restrictions. At that time, our online business, which had been already 10 years, we had invested in building that linear curriculum, tripled in business. So our online went through the roof, our brick and mortar died, and we were just so glad that we had spent 10 years building this beautiful online curriculum, which was probably the most demanding project of our professional lives to film that curriculum and to create that material. All the things we've ever learned, we've documented on video. So to put that out, and then it just blew up, and that website, that online university, is a resource that's available for free for all of our members of our school, brick and mortar school, and it's also part of the membership for all of our schools around the world. So when all these schools, because of COVID, had to shut down because of government regulations in their own regions, we told the schools, hey, you guys, you don't have to pay us your fees anymore. They're like membership, school membership uh, licensing fees. You don't have to pay us anymore during COVID, but your students can still access all the curriculum for free. 
as long as they maintain their memberships with your school. So we leverage our online university to be the actual lifesaver for all of our schools at no cost to them and just said, hey guys, we'll, we'll, we'll take a hit right now. We'll just ride this out how long it is. You guys figure it out. So our online university, for, for, for as far as we know it, was able to save the memberships at hundreds of our schools, which allowed them to weather the storm. We were more capable because we had other aspects of our business that we could call on, the law enforcement, the gear, the merchandise, so other things. But these little one-off schools, they just teach jujitsu. If they have to close, they're dead. So we use our online university to save them. And then of course, Zoom aspect, they all did some Zoom as well. But um, I think that's more significant was the fact that we had been building something that was, when we first built Gracie University, it wasn't because COVID was gonna come one day. When I say Gracie University, I mean the online learning center. It was because I had injured my back around 18, 19 years old, had a herniated disc. And I started thinking, man, what if I get hurt in a way that I can't do jujitsu forever and teach all my moves forever? And I'm like, you know, what if we were to make a curriculum where we document everything we've learned, put it online in order, and then it's done. And then almost like an assembly line, someone can start on lesson one anywhere in the world at any time and go through an order and then send in videos of their progress at certain milestones for us to actually see that they're doing things correctly. And the video evaluation process was groundbreaking that had never been done. So we're actually watching them at six and 12 month uh, markers. We're seeing them, we're sending them feedback and they're continuously improving on their techniques from a distance. So we've set our sight on that. We thought it would take, you know, three or four years, it ended up taking 10 years to catalog what we're talking about. We put it out and it's, it's again, no one has ever done anything like it. And if we knew how hard it was gonna be, we would never do it again, because that's how crazy it was. But Grace University, so anyways, what started as the mindset of, if I get hurt or we get injured and we can never teach forever, let's have something ready to take our place, really. What happened is we never imagined that the world would get injured and not be able to go to brick and mortar schools. So we're perfectly healthy, right? So our university served us 10 years later in a way that we would have never imagined. Man, what That's an interesting crazy. story. Thanks for sharing all that. That's that's pretty dynamic and really freaking cool that your foundation or your presence was, was preservation. It flipped. So never it, in our lives did we feel so blessed to it have. Was, it wasn't received very well. Initially. In the, in the beginning people like, hated for many it years. Online. Was it uh, people super close to you or the world or what, what was well, just well, everything? Well, people who have a school where essentially we're threatening them. It's a threat to their in business. Their mind. But it's not really though, because why would you train at online when you have a school eight minutes away? Well, not only that, it's, it was, here it's complimentary. People who were brick and mortar school owners said, wait a minute, you can't learn online. Like, it's not like, possible. Impossible, this is crazy, traditionalists. Yeah. And we were like, no, everything is learned online these days, number one. Number two, if you have one partner and you have a screen and you have a mat, you can learn well, what we're teaching, especially if we yeah. verify you on video periodically to make sure you're doing it right. They didn't understand what it meant to learn online. They, didn't they thought you just watched something and then like the matrix, you just. Now just, here's the irony of it all. And I have to say this on the record. The <laughs> irony of all of this is not only can you learn online because now all the people who are saying you can't learn online, they all have online universities now because Once of COVID. COVID hit, they, all, we, they were like, man, you guys, right were 10, before COVID. you guys were 10 years early, but we're here doing our little website. Now that COVID's here, they're trying to build one in a hurry. And I said, oh, so interestingly, but more importantly and more significantly is the number of students who have told us, Hedon Henner, I saw UFC, I watched a YouTube video of you guys breaking down the fight, 
At the end of that YouTube video, you invite us to try your online university for, uh, I think it's a 30 free lessons. They get to log on and watch a bunch of free lessons. Same today for all of our viewers here. Log on to graceuniversity.com. It's like 30 plus free lessons unlocked immediately. No credit card. You just start to dabble and watch all these cool lessons. I dabbled in the online lessons. I loved it. I wanted to find a school near me, so I just Googled BJJ. I found a school, and I've been training since then. I'm now a black belt, and they meet me in the water in Nosara or somewhere else. I started with your YouTube videos and your online university, and now I've been training for seven, eight, nine, ten 10 years. Well, here's really funny, because that happened before you ever got here, and now you're actually here, so people are getting a double dose. Fast forwarding all the way to this moment. What do you guys want to do here? Well, we just love it here. We just love you it here. You said it, we just want to hang out. We want to find a way to come here more often, whether that means have our own property or keep renting or stay at your house or, you know. <laughs> we gotta, I, I know people who have who've come here for years and they just have a friend and just stay in their friend's house. And I'm, I kind of like that plan. But I don't know, I think that I don't need to vacation too many other places in the world. Maybe I might want to go to Greece one day. So this has all the elements that we love. It has tropical. We're very Brazil, right? We're very used to that. We love the tropical. We love surfing. It has the water. Best beach in the world. Based papayas. Papayas. Watermelon and papayas are very good here. We love yeah. fruits. We love right the Nosara podcast logo. The people are relaxed. Everything's chill. It's not, a, it's, you know, it's, 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 it's beautiful there. I love the unpaved roads. No I, shoes. I love no shoes. I love there's no parking tickets. I love the fact that you park wherever you want and people generally just take care of themselves and the people they care about and everything works down here. It just kind of works. It's slower. People take their time, but everything just works out and it's just this take care of one another. So I, I just like the stark contrast to what we deal with in the high pace in, in California, particularly for us. So it's a getaway. Uh, it's a getaway for mm -hmm. us and, uh, and for me. In particular, it's like working for me is so fast and it's so heavy and it's so often it's so demanding if I let it be and I personally love it because I do it because I love it and I love it because I do it and I don't have any problem with that. But um, the goal would be to have a more permanent residence down here in Nosara to, to pull us because I, I don't take but one vacation a year for the most part. It's pretty much Christmas break, we close and we're gone. Other than that, it's work, 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 maybe an immersion camp or a jiu-jitsu immersion. So to have a more permanent place here in Nosara would be great because what that would do is really make sure that we come, we bring our closest friends and family, maybe have some jujitsu, you know, unofficial little jujitsu retreat or type events here. We've done it in the past and to do it at a place that we can yeah. call our own. So, but point is for us personally, we just want to get here more often. I think that's the, the How about, that's my New Year's resolution is come to Nosara more often than I did last year. In, in, in 2019, I think I traveled to like, I want to say like, 49 cities around the world mm -hmm. and then 2020 hit I said I'm not gonna travel in 2020 I came here in January for like five days I went home and then COVID hit and then now I'm here and it's 2022 it's, it's exactly two years and I my plan was to come here during every season not not every season but like the different you know every three or four months for 2020 it didn't happen so hopefully it can happen this year I can come back two or three more times. This is your surfing year. This is the year. Yeah, this is it. Year. He don't got his first stripe surfing, so he got the bug. He don't caught his first left, and he got stayed in front of and the I face. I caught my first left in 2020. One left. And he believed it was possible. 45 seconds. Actually, one wave. And then he was like, Henry, I caught a wave in Nosara. Yo, where you, I actually stayed in front of it. If you were like, dude, you rode a wave. Yeah. And if you would have seen that wave, you would say, oh, that guy's a purple belt. <laughs> That's like intermediate for those of you that don't know. It's mid-level. You have no idea. But then, and then I came back and, and I caught five about, more. But he's been dreaming about that since he was last year, telling me about Two this one year. wave. He's Two like, hey, it was so long. I was in front. It was long board. It was smooth sunset. I'm like, sounds like heaven, bro. Let's go do it. <laughs> but then now I'm, we came back and 
I think he just finally manifested that, and I watched him catch several beautiful waves. We stayed in front of it, and got so it. he don't got the bug. Like we're here. Well, some of your fight, you're head, one of the head coaches for Brian Ortega. He talks about surfing. You talk about surfing. Now Heron's in on surfing. Like your whole. We're not the first ones, right? Hickson, our uncle Hoyler, everyone's in surfing. Gracie family. This is we're, we're, yeah, we're, they all surf. It sounds like it's this is family wide. So. This is, it's in your blood. Oh, I knew I was going to surf 20 years ago, 15 yeah, years ago. I've just been thing, waiting. Bro. This was the right spot. You actually yeah. timed that one pretty well. I was just saving it for my midlife crisis when I turned 40. That's a perfect midlife yeah. crisis. Yeah. Yeah, humans, be, when you do jiu-jitsu as often as we do, humans become very predictable and very manageable and very, right? At our level, it's like, give me another person. It's like, I know exactly what they're going to do, when they're going to do it, how they're going to do it. I know how I'm going to counter. I know how I'm going to choke them. So it's a fun game, it's a great skill to have from a personal protection and confidence perspective and sharing it for, more, for us at this stage of our lives, teaching it to others and giving them that same confidence is most gratifying. But getting in the water, that's a much different opponent, right? Like every morning is like, wow, the swell is hitting us different. So I don't have as much control over the opponent in the water. So it's like, it keeps me hungry for like, we went out yesterday morning together and I'm like, well, this is different than their offshore winds and like bigger face and a steeper drop. This is different than California waves. It's different than what I've seen so far in Osara. Mm. So I love that the opponent feels different every single day and um, you know, every single wave, every single set. It's like, all right, positioning. And of course, you're dealing with the other players in the water. But really, you in the water, it's an engagement. And it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's an engagement that is totally unique, but it, it feels that fire of just overcoming the opponent mm. that really can't ever be fully overcome. And the culture is so safe. Water is so warm. Water's culture warm. is so safe. You know how to swim. So you can face yeah, it. Yeah, Nosara is like the Gracie University of surfing. Surfing. It's just safe. Culture is perfect <laughs> to learn and grow. And like, even if you mess up, you're not going to pay for it with your life. Like, you're going to be okay. Question for both y'all. What are your three favorite restaurants here in no particular order? Depends what time of day. <laughs> There's a lot of good ones. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I always like going to Al Chile for breakfast. Al Chile for breakfast. Like for the midday, like after the water right there, I like the Go Juice bars right there where they have the thing. And I like the Gilded Iguana. I like the SPS. Um, they have the Gilded Iguana. The El Local. Just that outside situation. I like um, uh, the Basilico, Basilico. The, the Italian restaurant. They have a little kids play place right there um, where the kids are playing while we're ordering. I'm like, dude, we should yeah. have some more restaurants. We, we had the shrimp salad at Basilico and he was eating it. And he said, shrimp avocado salad. As he's eating it, Henner said, this might be the best salad I've ever had in my life. <laughs> that was what he said. I actually said those words. I'm like, dude, shrimp, avocado, like olive oil, and like some other good stuff. onions, and like a little Parmesan. I'm like, this is crazy. <laughs> so I was at the water yesterday. We went early morning. I get out of the water, and Shunji's there. And he's like, hey. And I don't know him as well as you do, because you come here every six months. And I'm like, hey, well, he's like, hey, Shunji. I'm like, dude, we went to the Basilica. We went to the restaurant the other night. He was like, yeah, yeah, let me know when you guys want to go again. The kids can make their own pizzas. I'm like, let's do it, bro. <laughs> so maybe do that tomorrow night as our last night here. That'd be awesome. They can actually make their That's own pizzas. Funny. But I saw Shunji in the morning. He was with his daughter just walking as I got out of the water. That was too funny. What's your least favorite thing about this place? We talked about the mosquitoes, but the mosquitoes, I haven't been one since me. I've been here. Mosquitoes don't bite us. Yeah, I think they know better. They got respect for us. They know. <laughs> but they bite our wives and our kids which is so like it's almost like i'd rather they bite us than them i would rather take the bites for them because then they would be more willing to come here more often oh my I gosh i can't believe it. it's so frustrating right <laughs> my kids this earlier today my daughter's like i don't like costa rica 
And I'm like, oh shoot, she doesn't like Costa Rica. Now, of course, 20 minutes later, we're standing up paddle boarding and she's like, dad, I love this. And I'm like, okay, remember that. Remember <laughs> that you love this place. But she's like, I don't like it because she's got like 20 bites on her legs. So, and besides the mosquitoes, I can't think of anything else. Well, hey, I think the best thing out of this episode is, again, we're not many people see this, but people from around here will, yeah. or some will. And it's that people know you're not coming down to take over and rip heads off and cause violence. You're, it's no. just opposite. And, and if you people who just hear about you though around town, it's like, oh, these guys. Like when I was just on the way here, um, from where our normal studio is, where we have lights and it's not so dark, uh, they, somebody came up to me like, what are you gonna ask him? And I was like, I'm just gonna talk to you about life and Nasara and normal stuff around here. And they're like, but ask him what it's like to really fight and, and to kill and like choke and strangle. And I was like, that's their life. That, that's all they've known. I don't, everybody already knows that. That's all over the internet. I wanted people to hear about you as people and like where you're coming from. Like people kind of, people want to know what it's like to feel how we feel, mm. to have the confidence that we have. It's the uncertainty you mentioned though. Yeah. Most people are walking around always wondering all times. People want it, men want it, you know? Men want the power, the ability to just walk up to somebody and say and do whatever you want. And the thing is, we, we, would, we would never, we don't abuse our power in any way. We would never hurt anybody, you know, for no reason. So, but still, it's, it's cool, people like fighting. People like the breakdowns, they like the UFC, they want to know about fighting, they want, show me one move that can choke somebody out. That's a very common thing. If you're, if you're watching an event, what is it like behind the scenes? Is everyone professional and cool because everyone trains? Like you're all walking around respected, that camp's over there, that camp's right here, we're not going to have any issues. Or is it like a white belts with all the, the tension? You're talking about in, in an event, no, like UFC, in the arena or backstage? Both, like what's, what's your experience? What's it like for you? I think in the crowd, it's neutral. Everyone's crowd, just there to have a good people time. People are drunk and stupid in the crowd. But they're not disrespectful, it's not aggressive. Unless they're drunk and stupid and there's someone says something about their friend and this is the wife of the guy who's fighting right now. But other than that- Very rare, yeah. yeah people are pretty straight. But in the backstage, when you're back there and there's this fighter and this fighter and this fighter and they have all their coaches, it's a very small circle, right? The coaches all very much know each other. All the same fighters train at very few number of schools, like the top, top guys. So it's, and once you're in that club and you're kind of in there and you're talking to the other coaches, even if our guys are fighting each other, we've had, dude, we've coached against each other in the UFC. Yeah, and there's two energies. Where he was coaching one fighter in the UFC, I coached the other fighter. Very unique thing, yeah. Very, but my point is that's how small the circles are, is that these guys are all the same very weight rare. classes, they're all very talented. And, uh, but they're very respectful amongst coaches. Like it's like, well, and, unless there's like a real bad Connor Habib, you know, I'm sure that's much more different blood boiling type stuff and disrespect on that level. But even the smack talking can happen between two fighters who are building a fight and the coaches are like having lunch together and like, hey, what's up, how's it going? It's, it's no big yeah, deal. Yeah, and even the cool. fighters that are smack talkers, that might be specifically to one other fighter because they yes, have a little no, bit of an edge. All, there's bad blood and people, you know, so every now and then it sounds like. But to, the most very rare. But to everybody else who they interact with, everybody's chill. Oh, the guys are all super chill. Everybody's Listen, chill. learn how to fight so you never have to. The baddest guys are the most chill you'll ever meet. You've met us, but if you met 15 other black belts and other you know, leaders of martial arts in different categories or UFC fighters, which they'll certainly make their way down mm -hmm. here with, you know, once people know how good the waves are and how there's jujitsu down here, people are gonna start making their way down here a little more for better or worse. But the point is once you meet them, you're gonna go, wow, like Hedo mm -hmm. and Henner, this guy's bad, but so chill and so dope and so, that's, that's a very normal, that's, we see that all the time. I wanna bring up one of your quotes from when I first started watching your videos. You said, somebody asked you a question, it was in one of the bully episodes. 
you said, okay, well, if I have to choke him out, I choke him out. And, and then somebody said, well, what if he attacks you again? You said, well, I choke him out. And after that, we'll have watermelon juice. <laughs> and I've always thought of that. I didn't expect you to say that. And I was like, did he mean that? Is he kidding? And as I get to know you guys, y'all are dead serious. You want to go have a papaya juice or a watermelon juice? The reason juice. why it's possible is because when you beat someone, how we know how to beat someone, you don't leave them. They're not damaged. You don't have to inflict any bodily harm. You don't have to. You can stretch the person's arm just a little bit. And you can say, hey, are we okay? And then they say, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you like, they, they don't have to tap out, but you release. And then when they get up, they don't have any, you know, black eye, no broken nose, no broken teeth. <laughs> so then you say, let's go have a drink. There's, let's go jump. Have you water. ever done that? I wanted to ask you that question. Right. No, we've never even been in a fight. I mean, no, younger, younger. Yeah, as kids, like 16. But as adults, it's hard to get in a fight because we're so good at the de-escalation, the verbal. And understanding that that person's afraid and they're going through something. It seems like the police and law enforcement training, that's where this just becomes such a beautiful fit because that's their job at all costs. reason, because there's Krav Maga, on the other hand, rip a throat out, poke the eyes in, kick them in the groin, and it's like, yeah, that might get the job done, mm -hmm. but might it do more damage than good in resolving the altercation? Yeah, it might. So it's probably one of the number one things we love about the skill that we've dedicated our lives to is the fact that it allows us to subdue virtually anyone and do so without hurting them. That's crazy. So you could have the worst day of your life, be drugs, alcohol, or a mental, um, you know, a crisis situation, and you're just flipping out, trying to hurt someone or kill someone, whatever. And we can come in and subdue you and tie you up into a pretzel and know everywhere in your body where you're feeling pain, where you're not, hold you and know when you have nothing left to give, talk to you in the altercation while we're controlling you, and then when you're ready, only when you're ready, release you, bring you up, and then we have a peaceful resolution to that. And never once was a punch thrown. And we forgave you before it all started. And we're like, hey, we understand you're having a bad day. So the fact that we can intervene so effectively without violence, we don't even see a street fight as a fight. We see a street fight as a nonviolent, uh, encounter and physical encounter and hugging of bodies on partnered the yoga partnered yoga guys i gotta i gotta stop pause this is awful nosara like how do we describe it in nosara people come down here and rename themselves a lot and they say there's a lot of energy and moonbeams and all types of wonderful energy things here and for you guys to be these trained killers to d describe your methodology as a modicum of peace that's pretty interesting Anybody listening to that? They're, they're not expecting it is what I'm saying. Like that's a most peace, bro. It's the most peace to be able to go. No one's more peaceful than the person who goes to war in a physical altercation, what would otherwise be a violent, chaotic, dangerous, crazy thing, but goes into it capable of doing resolving that situation with neither party getting hurt. That's it. This is the definition of peace and gentility and, and nonviolence. Well, hey, tomorrow our war will be out there in the ocean and it's gonna it's going to be bouncing around all over the place and you never know what move it's going to give you next. So Can't wait to ride that opponent, surf some waves tomorrow, my last day here. Then we're out of here on Wednesday. He don't stay a little bit longer, but I'll be back soon, man. This is um, We appreciate your hospitality while you've been here. And, yes, uh, and I appreciate you having me use the boards. And, and uh, it's been a great ride. Hey, I'm gonna, I've got a couple extra ones. I'm going to get this guy out there as much as I can. This is the I'm year. I'm going, bro. I'm going. I went today a little bit. I'm going to go again tomorrow. Off we go. Just not 7 a.m. Thanks, man. We appreciate you. And congratulations you, on the show and everything you're doing here. Yeah. Uh, thanks for coming on. Boom. The Sara Podcast.